no matter no matter what we discover about our the nature of our sexual attraction or our sexual orientation there's nothing that we can discover that will make untrue the truths of jesus uh, that, that we are fearfully and wonderfully made that we are loved by him um, that there is there is a path forward if we want to choose to be followers of jesus there is a beautiful path forward that exists for us when you think about greek life Christian faith might be the absolute last thing that comes to mind. But we not only believe that it's possible to be Greek and Christian, but also that it's the best way to experience Greek life and grow your faith. We have real, honest conversations about how to approach Greek life from a Christian perspective, including things like recruiting and pledging, drinking and drugs, sex and dating, leadership and philanthropy, and much more. This podcast is by Greeks and for Greeks. Our hosts and guests are all members of fraternities and sororities who collectively have decades worth of experience living out their faith in Greek life. Welcome to the Greek and Christian Podcast. Welcome back, everybody. I'm excited to be here for another episode. This is Allison, the host of the Greek and Christian Podcast. And if you're just joining us, this podcast is indeed all about faith in Greek life. Uh, and if you've been following us on Instagram, you know that we've asked for your thoughts on this season of the podcast, and you overwhelmingly wanted a whole season, whole season, season, not just an episode, a whole season on sex and relationships. So we've been having, I would like to think, real conversations and honest conversations about God and sex. That's our hope. Uh, we want to cut through maybe the myths that exist out there about sex and Christianity. Um, and we do believe that God created sex as a good gift. He created relationships for us as a good, good gift. Um, and so again, we want to dispel the myths about sex, relationships, Christianity, and where God is at in the midst of that. Uh, so we've talked about hookup culture. We've talked about dating. We've talked about singleness. Uh, we've talked about sexual assault and pornography. So if you miss any of those episodes, go back and listen, because uh, they're pretty excellent. Uh, in today's episode, we are focusing on sexual orientation. So a lot of you asked about that, like, how do I connect with God if I am exploring my sex sexuality or asking questions about my orientation? Um, and how do I care for my brothers and sisters who are part of the queer community? So we want to have a really good conversation about that because we think it's important. And, you know, you've probably had experiences where Christians have not treated the queer community in a very gracious or loving way. Um, and so we want to have a conversation about how you can care for your brothers and sisters or how you can connect with God if you yourself identify as queer. So I want to recognize that I come into this conversation with some privilege. I am a cisgender woman and I'm straight, I'm heterosexual. And so while it's important for me to be part of these conversations, I think it's very important that I hand the mic to someone who is part of the LGBTQ plus community. So I'm gonna bring on our guest today. Uh, our guest is Greg. Hey, Greg. Hi. Uh, so Greg was born in upstate New York, uh, but he spent much of his childhood in Java which is an Indonesian uh, island. Greg, you want to tell us a little bit about why you were uh, growing up in Java? Yeah, so uh, my, my parents were English teachers. 
um, which is a which is a partying time. And I lived in Java from when I was three to when I was 18 years old. So a good solid 15 years. I have no memories of uh, growing up in the States, just life in Indonesia. So, you know, this po episode is unfortunately not about your history of living in Java throughout your, you know, childhood and teen years. But, oh, man, I would just love to hear all your stories of, like, coming to the U.S. after that whole time and then immediately going to college. But that's another episode, maybe. <laughs> I can't wait for that uh, episode. Great. <laughs> uh, so Greg is a writer. Uh, he has his Ph.D. in English from Penn State. And I love Greg's writing. Uh, we're going to put uh, links to his books in our show notes. His writing is vulnerable, honest. And what I really love about it is that it's really approachable. Um, so when I was reading it, I just felt like I was really invited into his story. And I think he writes with a sense of hospitality. So his book uh, that we'll talk a little bit about today is called Single, Gay, and Christian. That was one of the first books he wrote. Um, and that helped me to see sexual orientation in a new way. And then his most recent book uh, is on belonging, and it's called No Longer Strangers, Finding Belonging in a World of Alienation. So, Greg, we're asking all of our guests this question. You can't escape from this question uh, since you're on the podcast. So what's the worst advice you've ever been given about sex and or dating? You know, I remember one time someone told me, God can't steer a parked car, by which they meant, if you want to know what God wants from you in, in the realm of dating and et cetera, you just kind of got to start doing things and then let God redirect you accordingly. <laughs> like, don't, don't oh, cool. sit back, just go in for it. And I was like, I'm not sure that's wise advice. Um, but I did attempt to follow it briefly, which was also not wise advice. Yeah. Oh, no. Do you have like a funny story about that? You share? <laughs> I, I mean, well, uh, we'll, we'll get more into sexuality later on. But there was a period of my life when I was really wanting to be straight, like I thought that would be a better thing for my life. Mm. Uh, and so I remember hearing that and thinking, well, God can't steer a parked car. So if I want to be straight, I just got to date a woman. So I was like, let's start dating <laughs> a woman. Uh, so that was one of the logics that led me into dating a woman, which wasn't really ultimately a spiritually constructive thing for either me or the woman involved. <laughs> well, and Greg, you do talk about that in your book. So if you want to hear uh, more of that story, Again, I will I will keep promoting your book, Greg. Uh, buy the book Single, Gay, and Christian, and then you can read about the story. Well, let's jump into this conversation, Greg. Um, and one thing I want to recognize before I start peppering you with questions is that you who are listening to this, you come, and I'm using a plural you in this moment, uh, come from a variety of places around the country. So we have listeners who live in California. We have listeners who live in Indiana, in Michigan, some uh, who live in New England, and others who live in the South, who live in Louisiana or South Carolina. And so I want to recognize that you might be coming into this conversation about sexuality from very different places. Um, and that's okay. So you might hear some things today that bother you or ruffle your feathers a bit. And I want to say that that's okay. All right. That's normal. <laughs> and uh, to don't not, I would encourage you not to close yourself off to what God might be wanting to speak to you. Uh, whether you consider yourself to be more progressive or more conservative, I think God has something for you. 
in this conversation. And so I encourage you to listen uh, with openness today and paying attention, not avoiding where you feel uncomfortable, but actually like pausing and paying attention to that. I actually think that's a really good spiritual discipline. Whenever we feel a little bit uncomfortable or upset or frazzled by something, I think that might be an invitation from God for us to pause um, and pay attention to that. So with that intro, Greg, um, there are a diversity of beliefs in Christian circles about sexual orientation. Uh, but there do seem to be kind of these two main views, and maybe our audience hasn't heard this before. Um, and these two main views are often called side A and side B. So I'm wondering, could you give us an overview of what side A is and what side B is? Yeah, so these these two terms were developed uh, by by a group that was it was it was all people who found themselves uh, gay or attracted to the same sex or whatever language they were putting around it um, and trying to figure out if that doesn't change. Right. There, there was a whole other separate group of people who was like, God wants to make you straight. Uh, but these were people who were like, that doesn't seem to be changing. Our, our sexual orientation doesn't seem to be, you know, God doesn't seem to want to make us straight. So they were like, how do we understand that theologically? What do we think Jesus wants from us within that context? And so the side A folks were the ones who said, you know, we think there's a path forward for followers of Jesus to pursue a same-sex sexual relationship, right? So, uh, to, so to pursue a marriage once marriage became legal in the U.S., um, that that's a that's a good uh, path for followers of Jesus. And then the side B folks said, you know, we don't see that path forward in Scripture. It seems like in Scripture, marriage is between male and female, um, and yet God doesn't. God also doesn't need to make us straight. We can we can honor God in celibacy, or maybe even for some people. Uh, we might find ourselves generally not attracted to the opposite sex, but there might be a specific person of the opposite sex that we want to marry. And so we pursue what's sometimes called a mixed orientation marriage. Um, so yeah, those two camps, side A, pursuing a same-sex relationship, and then side B, typically pursuing uh, celibacy or else a mixed orientation marriage between male and female. That was a really helpful, like, oh, I love how clear you made that. I mean, there is nuance to it, I'm sure. Um, but just helping our audience understand that there are different views who are held under the tent of Christianity. Um, but we're exploring, you know, what what is what do we sense as God's sexual ethic for us? Um, and how does God meet us as we explore sexual orientation. And so for you, Greg, can you describe what your sexual ethic is and how you arrived at that? So I would I would fall broadly in what I've described as the the side B camp. Um, the, the way that I got there was actually I spent most of my upbringing thinking that the thing God wanted from me was to make me straight. Um, because that was kind of the prevailing narrative that existed in the community I grew up in, um, right? So this is when I was attempting to date a woman and various other things, um, because because it was so deeply ingrained in me the notion that like, well, if I'm attracted the same, that can't possibly be uh, the the way that I remain if I'm following Jesus. Um, so as, as after you know a decade or so of waiting for God to make me straight, as in various ways God made it increasingly clear to me that that didn't seem to be super high on his agenda, that he seemed to have other priorities for my life. That was when I really started to wrestle deeply with the question of what scripture had to say about the possibility of a, a same-sex sexual relationship for me. Um, and I found myself 
very deeply viscerally sympathetic to the arguments in favor of uh, those same-sex relationships. Mm -hmm. um, I, I've got lots of uh, friends and people I deeply respect who are in that camp. Um, but uh, what I found, I think, as I, as I dug into scripture was that even though it was very complicated, there still seemed to be this, this vast way of reading the text and that insofar as I could discern it, it seemed like scripture's ideal vision for marriage still involved male and female, um, and that outside of marriage, all of us were called to sexual abstinence, um, uh, and that actually, uh, despite what a lot of us might hear, especially in church spaces, uh, singleness and celibacy is a really good and beautiful thing. It can be a really mm. fruitful way of living, uh, and so the more I started to lean into the possible beauty of singleness, the more I started to wonder you know, is it, is it possible that maybe I had just ignored the possibility of singleness because I was so busy either thinking I have to be straight so I can marry a woman or I have to read the Bible this other way so I can marry a man. And maybe I could look even more like Jesus if I just said, maybe I don't have to do either of those things. Maybe I can just let myself be the me that God has allowed me to be um, and, mm. and pursue him in singleness. So that that's where I've landed. Mm. I'm glad you brought that up. Uh we had a guest a couple episodes ago talk about singleness, Bridget, and she wrote a book called Single Just Because. And I, her book is a celebration of singleness, which I think is awesome um, because you're right. The church seems to put this premium on being married. I mean, I shared a personal story of someone, you know, making this assumption that marriage is just the pinnacle of God's work in your life and that you won't ever be a whole person unless you're married. And that's garbage. <laughs> I, mean, I want to say that again. That's, that's not, that's not good theology. Like God will, will do good work in you, whether you're married or not. Um, and anyway, but I love that Bridget's book is a celebration of singleness because our, I think our churches need to be preaching that more, that mm. being celibate, being single, um, abstaining from sex before marriage uh, is a gift from God, um, mm. just as much as marriage is a gift from God as well. Um, and we don't have stories like that. Um, and so I, I appreciate you sharing that. And I know we'll dig more into your story of how you have experienced goodness um, in the path that God has uh, brought you on of being celibate and single and gay um, in the church. Uh, so I want to turn, though, and ask you a question um, about the good news. What is the good news for people who are queer, who identify as LGBTQ+. Um, I think that queer people have experienced a lot of pain from Christians, mm. um, either indirectly or directly. Um, yeah. And so what is the good news for Christians who are queer? Yeah, I, I love that question so much um, because, because I, I totally agree that we both uh, have a history uh, as as a Christian church, we have a history of uh, not doing very well with the queer community, um, and and also it's easy to fall into this mentality of just focusing on what we might see as the possible no's of Scripture. You know, here are the things you're called to say no to, and I think we can do this about sexuality in general mm, for everybody, for sure. right? Like, here are all the kinds of sex you shouldn't be having, but I think we can sometimes especially do that. Um, 
with uh, LGBTQ folks. Here's all the things you shouldn't do, and we won't even talk about, you know, what what good thing God has for you. Um, I think on one level, the the good news, I mean, the good news is is fundamentally the same for all of us, right? Fundamentally, the notion uh, that that Jesus has arrived, that Jesus uh, wants to claim kingship over our lives, and that his kingship actually causes us to live better lives than we could otherwise possibly live. Uh, that this, It's true for all of us, and yet I think sometimes we can say, oh, it's true for all of us, and miss the particular beauties of the ways that Jesus shows up in your life and in mine, and that it's allowed to look different in your life than it is in mm. mine. Uh, and so I think something that's um, particularly valuable for uh, queer folks to, to remember as we think about the good news of the gospel for us um, is that when, when Jesus says, I have a, a vision of goodness for you, um, he's not saying, I have a vision of goodness for you, and it's something that will sort of cram you into a box that the, that the heterosexuals in your life want to cram you into. Um, and he's also not saying, I have a vision of goodness for you, and it's to make your life look exactly like the lives of everybody else that you see around you. But it's actually, you are uniquely and beautifully created, um, and that includes a whole bunch of aspects of your embodiment and your experience of the world and your predispositions. Those things are created with beautiful intention. Mm. Um, and so there's a, all of us experience some kind of brokenness in the way we encounter the world, right? Because we're, we're fallen human creatures, all of us. Um, and yet there's also um, a kind of redemption that is offered to each of us that is unique. Uh, and so the, the unique redemption for the queer person is not to end up looking like a straight person, um, but it's to see the ways that how we are able to love and to give our love away is actually a good and beautiful thing. And God has something beautiful for us in it. Um, and it, it doesn't need to, it doesn't need to fit anybody else's model. It doesn't need to end up in, in marriage necessarily. Um, it doesn't need to end up in some story that we've been told will make our lives good, but we can actually have these really bizarre, these unusual, these truly queer in the uh, historic sense of, of the word, we can have these really queer ways of being in the world uh, mm. that are nonetheless loaded with love, right? I can waltz around the world as a celibate man and just love people willy-nilly, and it's really weird and queer, uh, and I think Jesus loves it, and I think that's great news for us. Hmm. Yeah, I, I hear the in because I can see you. Uh, we're, we're using a video service. I can hear and see the freedom of that, the almost this like expansive freedom to love hmm. um, that is a gift uh, that you've been able to receive and give uh, to those around you. Um, and I think that's something I love from your book is that it seems like God has really um, helped you to embrace uh, your identity as someone who's gay um, and has helped you experience his love in the midst of that. Um, mm. Which I think, I mean, I love what you said, like your God's way of redeeming you as a queer person is not to make you look like a straight person. I love that, that line. <laughs> Cause that's, I, I feel like that's maybe the indirect message that people can receive from the church or sometimes a direct message, sadly, often a direct message that you have to look like a straight person in order to be redeemed if you are queer. Um, but there is this sense of freedom in you of, no, this is how God created me. And there is something good and beautiful that I give to the world in this. 
so I would love to hear a little bit more um, about that. I, I want to hear what you love about being gay and Christian, but also what's been hard about being gay and Christian. Mm, yeah. Um, let's, let's start with the hard things. Cause then we yes. can, then we can, uh, move to a high note. Um, I think interestingly, you know, uh, sometimes when, when people will hear about my life from the outside, they'll be like, I assume that the not having sex part is the really hard thing about your life because you chose to be celibate and that sounds hard. And, and that is, I mean, that is challenging at times. Um, sometimes more than others, you know, I think it fluctuates how much that feels like, oh, this is a really hard part of my life. Um, but in my experience, I mean, that's, that's not really a part of my life that takes a ton of time, right? Like not mm. having sex takes very little time in my life. Um, and so, uh, the, the things that are actually a, a bigger part of the, the challenge and the figuring out that I, that I think I'm doing as a, as a celibate gay person, uh, have to do with trying to figure out what good and healthy belonging and community and intimacy look like. Um, because I can live without sex, but like there are all these other things that are often lumped in with sexual relationships that I can't live without, right? To have people with whom my life is deeply intimately connected, mm. um, to have people who feel like family, the kind of relationships that I can just come home to and feel at ease in, um, to know that I'll have uh, people I can spend holidays with, um, and people who will take care of me when I'm sick. Uh, those kinds of questions uh, are questions that I often find myself asking about my life. Mm. Um, and, and those are places that can be um, sources of sources of challenge. Um, I think also, uh, especially given the, uh, the controversy that surrounds questions of faith and sexuality, being like a, a a controversial person as, as somebody who's gay and celibate is also kind of a challenge, right? To have loads of Christians, like as soon as I come out to them, be like, yeah, we don't really know if you love Jesus because you said you're gay and that seems sketchy. Mm -hmm. um, that, that can also be, um, I think, really, really challenging. And yet, I think those sources of challenge are also some of the places that I have found um, a lot of beauty in my life. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, I, I mentioned earlier that one of the one of the ways that I think the gospel is uniquely good news for, for queer people is that it gives us this invitation to see the good yeses that Jesus has that are specific to us. Mm. And when I think about intimacy and family, I find myself thinking of some of the relationships that I have in my life, some of the people who have become family, who, uh, who are relationally intimate with me in ways that I'm not sure it would have ever occurred to me to pursue if I had just been like, well, everybody said I should get married. So I got married and then I had 2.3 children and, you know, my spouse is my best friend. And that's really the whole locus of my <laughs> intimacy and community. And uh, like, I was sort of forced outside of that model. I was forced to do something that felt and sounded weird. Um, mm. And in that weirdness, there's this really distinctive beauty that I wouldn't have known to look for until I stumbled across it. Um, I think for instance, of, uh, the, the younger friends in my life, I have tons of friends who are somewhere between like 10 and 20 years younger than me. Like a lot of them, not quite young enough that they could have been my biological children, but like a little too old to be my siblings. And those relationships, like they fill this space in my heart that I'm like, no one told me that I should have these beautiful friendships with these 
with these younger kids. Uh, it wouldn't have occurred to me that God would just sort of like lay these relationships in my lap and be like, look, isn't this fun? Isn't this beautiful? Isn't this better than what you would have dreamed up for yourself? Um, and I, I think there's, there's such a, there's such a beauty in that. Um, mm -hmm. And there's even uh, in its own way, though I don't love the scrutiny of people being like, yeah, we don't know if you love Jesus because you're gay. Um, there's all, I've also found a beauty in that in the sense that, um, I'm very much a people pleaser at heart, um, but my my experience of being gay and following Jesus has been such that it has forced me to not just trust what everybody else says Jesus is saying, mm. because everybody else has a lot of opinions about what Jesus is saying. Um, and, and so I've been forced just by the nature of that circumstance to really need to zero in on like, which voice here is the voice of Jesus? Who are the actually trustworthy people in my life? Um, and how can I really like uh, zero in on those voices, trust those voices, um, and learn how to not pay attention to just everybody clamoring, wanting to have an opinion about my spiritual life? Um, and, and that's actually been, I think, a huge opportunity for growth for me to get out of that people-pleasing model and to say, actually, Figuring out what Jesus is saying, figuring out how I can please Jesus needs to be a much bigger priority than making everyone happy. Um, mm. And so that, I think, is another way in which, even though some of the circumstances surrounding my experience of sexuality and my pursuit of Jesus have been really challenging, those challenges have also, in weird ways, unleashed these opportunities for beauty that I don't mm. think I would have known to look for until mm. God provided them. That's good. I think there's a false idea we can often fall into um, of, you know, the things that are good and beautiful are the things that conventionally make us happy, right? Like good and beautiful isn't always associated with suffering or self-denial. But what I hear you saying is actually through some of these ways of um, denying myself certain things, I'm actually able to say yes to more of these good and beautiful things that God has for me. And actually through these experiences of suffering, there's been this um, beauty of God that has been unleashed. Is that accurate yeah. in what I'm yeah. saying? Yeah. Yeah. You know, it, it reminds me of uh, Jesus saying things in the gospels like, well, if anybody wants to come after me, like they should just take up their cross and follow me, you know, like pick up your torture instrument, go and die. Right. The one who wants right. to save their life will lose it. But yeah. the one who loses their life for my sake mm -hmm. will find it. Um, this idea that Jesus actually has something for us that is so much better than the thing that we thought we needed. But to get to the thing that Jesus has requires us letting go of the thing mm. that we thought that we needed. And so that process will always feel like a kind of death to us. Yeah. Um, uh, if it's really Jesus that we're following, there always is some kind of loss, some kind of sorrow involved. And yet it's not just a life toward loss and toward sorrow, but it's yeah. toward these things that we find on the other side of the sorrow, on the other side of the death, we find this life that's so much bigger and so much grander. Um, and I think, mm -hmm. yeah, if, if we, if we haven't found that new life through death, um, then there's, there's more that Jesus has for us. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, Jesus is all about resurrection. You know, I mean, that's mm, the core of amen. the story, you know, and um, God is all about bringing life. I mean, that's the very first instance in scripture is him creating the world and creating life. And then Jesus himself, right? All about resurrection. And um, I appreciate you saying that, that, that we will experience resurrection. We will experience new life on the other side of pain or places that Jesus might be asking us uh, to deny ourselves, to take up our cross and to follow him. Um, I think it's, it's pretty common to ask questions about our sexual orientation. I think it's more culturally acceptable um, to ask questions about our, our sexual orientation. Um, and so students in our audience, they might be wondering, well, am I straight? You know, am I gay? Am I bisexual? Am I somewhere in between? Um, and how do I connect with God if I am asking these questions about my sexual orientation? And so what encouragement or advice do you have for students who might be questioning what their orientation is or exploring uh, their sexual orientation? A couple things come to mind. Uh, one is I know that um, because of some of the historic baggage that exists around uh, Christian faith and, and questions of sexuality, uh, figuring out your sexuality can feel especially scary because it can feel like uh, your faith in God kind of hangs in the balance. Like, well, if I turn out to be gay, that's bad news for my faith. Mm. Um, and so I think to, uh, to approach our own uncertainty and our own wrestling around questions of sexuality with a confidence that no matter no matter what we discover about our the nature of our sexual attraction or our sexual orientation there's nothing that we can discover that will make untrue the truths of jesus uh, that, that we are fearfully and wonderfully made that we are loved by him um, that there is there is a path forward if we want to choose to be followers of jesus there is a beautiful path forward that exists for us mm. um, that those things are not under threat, no matter where we where we discover ourselves to be in, in the realm of our, our sexuality. Uh, and so I think if, if we can start the exploration from that place of security and confidence, um, then we don't need to be afraid of whatever answer we get to. Uh, I think the other thing I would say is we can often uh, approach that that wrestling or that discernment around our sexuality with a sense of urgency. Like, I need an answer. I need to know which label I should slap onto this thing. Um, I won't really know who I am or what I should be doing in the world until I have my answers, you know? Uh, mm. And, uh, and you know, I, I don't, like, if you, if you have some answers, like, I'm not trying to be like, don't put a label on, like, if you find a label that works, that's fine with me. Um, but at the same time, I think we can, we can uh, we can give ourselves the the freedom and grace to to not need to rush, um, and especially to know. Um, I mean, uh, so my life as a as a celibate person, um, there's a sense in which what's more significant to my life is the fact that I feel called by God to be celibate, um, and so my life would look very similar if I were straight and celibate as it does mm. as somebody who's who's gay and celibate. Mm -hmm. And so, in a sense. The question that was more urgent for me to answer was not, am I straight or am I gay? I mean, the answer from, in my case, that answer was very clear very early on. Um, but like the, the more important question as far as like, how do I live? Um, was a question of how is God asking me to steward what I have right now and what I know right now? Um, and so I think I would say 
as you're in that space of not being sure what, if any, label is most helpful to understand your sexuality or, or where you're at, um, maybe remember, you don't need to rush those questions. Um, and it might be more helpful to turn to the question of, hey, apart from how I understand my sexuality right now, what does Jesus seem to be calling me to do in this moment? Um, is he calling me to, to pursue relationship in some way? And if so, with whom and why? Um, or is he calling me to singleness and to celibacy, whether that's for you know a shorter season or for a longer time? And if so, what does that look like and how and why? Um, maybe those questions will turn out to be the questions that are more helpful for us in the long run. Um, so yeah, yeah, those, those, are, those are some thoughts. I've rambled long enough on that subject. So for our straight students who are listening to this, um, how can these straight students care for the sexual minorities in their fraternities and sororities? Two thoughts come to mind. There are more, obviously, but let's stick with the two. Um, the, the first is, I think it's really important uh, just, to, just to let people know that they are loved, um, that their love is not contingent on anything related to their experience of sexuality. Your love for them is not contingent on how they choose to conduct themselves or live their lives with respect to the choices they're making around sexuality. Um, I think, uh, especially in, in Christian faith circles, there can be this attitude and this fear that is sometimes a really rightly based fear that, oh, once I come out or if somebody knows where I'm at with my sexuality, um, they will no longer have the same kind of love for and commitment to me mm -hmm. as they used to have. Uh, and so I think to, to be as, as clear, as fervently clear as we possibly can that, no, my, my love for you, my commitment to you, it's not going anywhere. Um, and then the other thing I would say is, um, I think we need to give people lots of space to be on their own journey. Um, mm. uh, hopefully, if they're also followers of Jesus, uh, to be on their own journey with Jesus um, uh, or to, to create space to invite them into that, that journey with Jesus. Um, and, but, to, but to not feel like our job in somebody else's life is to waltz in like their conscience and be like, let me tell you how to make this thing work. Um, right, because uh, in the end, uh, the, the, the most we can possibly accomplish in somebody else's life is pointing them in the direction of the Jesus who will actually be good enough um, uh, to, uh, to, to walk them through the, the, the challenges and the beauties of the journey that, that they will be on. Um, but we can't, we can't be somebody else's conscience. Um, we can't make somebody else's choices for them. And I think when we try to do that, which I think is the impulse of some straight Christians when they are with their queer friends is to be like, I know how you should be living. Let me just inform you of that, you know, uh, uh, to, to, to see a queer person and be like, hey, how's it going? You know, have you read Romans 1 recently? Very, very unhelpful. <laughs> don't, don't take that approach. Um, because, yeah, because ultimately uh, the, the fact that you have convictions around sexuality and sexual ethics, that's great. Um, but that your convictions are not what somebody else needs. What somebody else needs is an encounter with the Jesus who is beautiful enough to guide mm -hmm. them. Um, mm -hmm. so, uh, so, so don't try to be somebody else's conscience, um, but love them well and point them faithfully again and again to the Jesus who is good enough to guide them and walk with them. Well, I'd love to know um, if you have any final words of advice or encouragement for our audience, maybe even specifically like resources that you found helpful 
you know, as you've walked through your journey um, in human sexuality or that others have found helpful? Yeah. Oh, man. Uh, there's there's so many good things. Um, in, in terms of resources, one that I'll name, uh, just because a significant part of the journey for me uh, has been uh, meeting with, having conversation with other people who have similar stories so that I don't feel like such a bizarre freak of nature. Um, like when I first, when I first was like, I don't think I'm becoming straight, but I also don't think I'm becoming convinced that I should pursue a same sex relationship. I was like, are there other options besides those two? I'm not aware of anything else. Um, and so one of the, one of the coolest things for me has been encountering other queer folks who said like, yeah, like I have a similar understanding of what Jesus seems to teach. And also here's, here's my experience of my sexuality. Um, so, uh, one, one space where I've been able to have a lot of those interactions, um, is a place called Revoice. Uh, there's, there's a conference and you can find old conference materials online. Um, but, uh, the Revoice conference is, uh, yeah, it's, it's a community of folks who are in that middle space of neither God wants to make us all straight, um, nor God wants us all to be in, in same-sex relationships. Um, but, uh, but, but to, to seek to figure out what, what celibacy or mixed orientation marriage can look like. Uh, I would also say um, if, you're, if you're somebody who's processing through this in secret, um, I know that was, that was my story for a long time was that I was going through a lot of my deepest wrestling alone. Um, I would say on the one hand, don't feel like there's this urgency, like I gotta come out to everybody immediately. Like, let me take all my most complicated un unfinished thoughts and like post them all on uh, TikTok, you know? Like you don't need to do that on the one hand, but on the other hand, you also don't need to be like, I will never tell anyone ever. I will go to the grave and no one will, you know? I, 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 think, um, I think it's really important. It was really important for me. I'll say this. It was really important for me um, to be known um, by at least a few people who I really mm -hmm. trusted, at least a few people who I knew really loved me, at least a few people who I knew really loved Jesus and could uh, can, can help me think through like, what is Jesus saying to me? And how do I discern what he's saying to me? Um, and maybe most importantly, people who uh, can look at me with the love of God and mm -hmm. know the whole of my story, know everything I'm thinking and wrestling um, and, and say like, I love you and God loves you just, just to reaffirm that those things are true. Um, so if you don't have any people, find some people like that. Mm -hmm. um, uh, maybe, maybe you need to come out to Allison. Maybe that's the takeaway from this episode. You should all write Allison. You're coming out email. <laughs> um, but no, find, find somebody that's that, that. Yeah. We'll, we'll end on, we'll end on that word from me. Find somebody. <laughs> well, I have made myself available uh, in several of our episodes. If people want to DM me, they can. Um, I will do my best to care and love you. Um, that's for sure. And I mean, a lot of that journey is learning from people like Greg and how to care well for uh, our friends and brothers and sisters who are queer. So thank you, Greg, for throwing me out there. And, you know, I'll, I'll do my best. <laughs> but Always on a serious... happy to recommend you. <laughs> thank you. On a serious note, community is so important. Greg, I'm glad you said that. Uh, we've touched on that in several episodes of this season that in these vulnerable issues involving sex and relationship, uh, we can often revert to privacy and secrecy um, when maybe there is an invitation for you to pursue community and safe community. That's And Greg, you touched on that as well. Like, you know, you don't need to be proclaiming all of this from the rooftops to everybody. And not every single person is going to be a safe person for you to entrust this to. 
And so finding someone who is that safe person, um, you know, I would like to think that we in Greek University want to be some of those safe people for you. And especially if you're listening to this and you aren't part of a community on campus, like you're following Jesus and you're not part of a community on campus, we do want to help you get connected. I mean, we have Greek IV staff like me um, who want to come alongside you and walk with you uh, through these uh, difficult issues as you're Greek on campus. And so to do that, all you really need to do is find us on Instagram at Greek IV and either send us a DM or um, go to greekiv.org and fill out the contact card and we'll get in touch with you. Thanks again for joining us for the, another episode of the Greek and Christian podcast. We'll have another episode for you next week. The Greek and Christian podcast is produced by Greek InterVarsity, a nonprofit college ministry for fraternity and sorority students. Our ultimate vision is to see every fraternity and sorority connected to a community of Greek Christians so that every Greek is just one friend away from knowing and following Jesus. To learn more, find a community on campus, or partner with us, visit greek.intervarsity.org.